Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. I'm Sally Gentry. And we are so glad that you choose to tune in the Gifted Life. It's our way of spurring those healthy conversations about organ, eye, and tissue donation. And guess what? Lots coming up on this episode you won't want to miss. Yeah, first we'll be talking about a beautiful event coming up. Think nature and fitness. Boom. Oh, and horses. Coming together as one. Yeah, all for donation. Gotta love that. And then maybe a a trading places of sorts, guys. One of our podcasting friends out there in the podcasting world coming on our show. We're going on their show, but we're learning about donation, which is going to be so cool. A first of its kind. Sounds great. And in previous episodes, we've talked about direct donation. But today we're going to have guests who's going to talk with us about cornea donation, and can they do direct donation? Crazy. That's a good question. Yep. All right. We're learning here. We're talking. We're having fun here on The Gifted Life, and we want you to help us spread the word. We try to make it as easy as possible for you to do that. Absolutely. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or whatever your favorite podcast app might be. As Joey says, it's easy peasy. It is easy peasy. Oh, I love it. Just messing with Joe. He said it one time and it kind of stuck, it right? Did, yeah. I'm sure he didn't think that was going to stick. But it stuck, Joe. We like it. It flows off his tongue, too. <laughs> hey, guys, we know social media is big on Facebook. Donate Life Louisiana on Twitter, Instagram. We're at Donate Life LA. A lot of what we talk about here, you can find there on those pages. And you can also give us a call. That number is 504 648 Three four seven seven. We'd love to hear from you. When you say it, I hear music playing. Like it's, I just do. We should have the a jingle. jingle. Oh, you see, I brought it up. Maybe for <laughs> holidays. I don't know. Maybe huh? a little present. <laughs> Troy, you if you're listening, happy. our little IT guru out there. All right, that's our hotline. It works like a voicemail, and you can do it in your pajamas overnight. We just want to hear your story, and we may play your audio here on the podcast. Hang on to your hats, guys. Lots to get to. Here we go. On this episode of The Gifted Life, a friend in the studio. Hey, Sean Paul. Hey, how are y'all? Good. The Sean Paul Harrison, right? So your day job is physician and donation specialist for who in particular? For Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. Wow, for Lopez. So he's one of us. Yes, he is. Thank you for for admitting that. (laughs) (laughs) But we love Sean Paul because you saw the need to go out into the community and help spread about organ eye and tissue donation awareness. So you're here because of one of your events way in the outdoors. We're all excited about it. Yeah, I mean, I am very biased about it. I'm very excited about, you know, the upcoming Trail Run for Life. It's the fourth annual. It seems just like yesterday that I walked into Mr. Bill, who owns Cherokee Ridge Horse Farm, and basically gave him this idea of something that we wanted to do, and he didn't throw me out and accepted it. Four years later, here we are. And then it sounds beautiful. Joey was telling us about it. Sally's excited about the, the horses, horses yeah. out there. So where in Louisiana is this? So it's in Cairn. It's right outside of Lafayette, Louisiana. It's only a couple of miles. But uh, the area that it's in, it's, it really is breathtaking. It's 170 acres of beautiful rolling hills. They have dozens and dozens of horses. 
these horses, they're actually used a lot for therapy for children mm-hmm. and also for people just dealing with different things. You know, there's a beautiful river that runs on the, the edge of the course. Um, there's just trails. A lot of people at first, I think the first year, they were wondering, like, you know, is this going to be really difficult where I won't be able to, to really enjoy it? Or is it going to be too difficult for me to even participate? And the answer is no. You know, the only difference is that it's non-pavement running. It's very beautiful. I even tell the people that walk, they actually have an advantage because they get to stay on a beautiful course longer. (laughs) So so it's really exciting. I mean, you know, it's just a, it's a beautiful event. Is this for our donor families or any donor family and recipients or who specifically can? Yeah, Sally, you know, it's really grown into, there was no scripted way that we wanted this thing to grow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we obviously, you know, we wanted to invite, you know, the community as a whole. And then also we really wanted to have donor families, recipients, those who are waiting, those That's who have great. maybe even lost someone. You know, we've seen the participation with all of those individuals really grow, especially this year. We have two unique things this year. One is, is that uh, a recipient that had been participating since the first year. Her name was Stephanie Barnes. She had received a double lung transplant twice. And because of that gift of life, she was able to run, walk the fun run every year with her son. And it was one of their favorite events. And unfortunately, she passed away in March. And her mother had reached out to our community educator, Susanna Morton, not long after her passing, and asked if we were still going to be doing the trail run. And Susanna, you know, obviously made sure that she was aware that we were going to continue this. And so, you know, giving it some thought, what we decided to do is the the fun run is actually going to be dedicated in honor of Stephanie Barnes. So it's called the Brave Run, Brave One. Her son is going to be the one that's going to be leading that charge. That's good. I like this event because it's always very themed, different from the previous one. Uh And the theme this year is Together We Are Better. Where'd you come up with that? You know, it's it's a long story, one that you would have to have our own podcast, and I'd probably... <laughs> well, listen, I'd I'm probably, sitting here, you're calming me with your voice, I'd, like, you tell me whatever. I'd probably bore you all, and you maybe lose some listeners, but, you know, the Together We Are Better is obviously the core of it is about organ tissue and eye donation. It really is, and that's one thing that we want to make sure that we're spreading the awareness. Uh, one of the things is because I do have a teenage son who asks a lot of questions, and there's a lot mm-hmm. of diversity going on in the world, yeah. and so it's really about unity and how... That is connected with organ tissue and eye donation is, is we have families that are experiencing, you know, one of the tragic, the most tragic experience that they'll ever have. And what we see, especially from LOPA, is we see that when other people come together, whether it's the family or the physicians and nurses and supporting these families, something good does come out of it, some hope, some healing. Mm-hmm. And so that's really, you know, in a nutshell, with, without going too long into it, you know, together we are better. That is something that we feel very strongly about. Uh, We really like to get the community involved. So we've been going out and working with hospitals. We've been working with schools. We've been working with just people that don't even have an attachment to donation. Yeah, we've been working with servicemen and women. So it's really about spreading that message and even kind of associating people that didn't know about donation and, and also letting them spread that message as well. And one more thing I wanted to mention was something that we added this year that's really special is we're going to have a school spirit award and the it's for the largest participating school that is attending the event. And the award is going to be in honor of Lacey Tequino, which was one of our donor heroes. So it's kind of a spirit stick that we're going to be awarding the schools uh, for the largest participation. So we're really excited about that and honoring her family. 
Wow. And then you do all this work because we know all these events come with lots of work and logistics and things. But why do you do this? Who's benefiting from this event? The most important is spreading the awareness about the importance of organ tissue and eye donation. But it's also about honoring these families, you know, the heroes that have saved lives, you know, the, the recipients who receive the gift of life and really those that are waiting, you know, for a gift of life. We know someone personally in our Lopa family now that's waiting for a kidney so this is universal. This really affects everyone, and we want to make sure that, that we're representing that. Yeah, and so uh, proceeds would benefit our community education here at Logan exactly. and then maybe the, the horse form, too, I, I was thinking. No, it, yeah. it, they donate everything back to LOPA for right. community education. Wow, yes. great partners, right? So the LOPA Trail Run for Life happening October 29th. That's a Sunday. Hopefully we got your attention. Hopefully you want to be a part of this. I'm assuming online registration. www.lopa.org on the events page. Is on the events page where you can get the information, you can get the address and everything, but walk up registration. We want to see you there. We welcome you, right? Absolutely. All right. Awesome. Be inspired on October 29th for the Trail Run for Life. Thanks, Sean Paul. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate it. Here on The Gifted Life, a little something different, but we're all excited about it. We're doing maybe a flip the script kind of thing. So we're partnering with another podcast and we are going to talk organ, eye and tissue donation. And instead of asking questions, we will be asked questions. So no pressure, Rishi B. How are you? Doing well. How are you today? Welcome to The Gifted Life. We are good. We are all smiles and and some of us a little <laughs> nervous. I don't know, right? Uh, yeah. We heard, we heard some of your past <laughs> podcasts. Your podcast is called Healthy Schmelty. Healthy Schmelty. The fanciest, schmanciest public health podcast. No, I like that. We were looking for the description. I'm like, he's onto something there, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I like it. So tell us your, your background and where you're coming to us from. Sure. So I've uh, spent some years in the healthcare industry, and uh, I'm a master's of public health. And from all that experience, um, and in particular, some of the healthcare reform stuff that's happening in the news. Mm-hmm. I was kind of curious about um, how much information is really out there. How much do people actually know about healthcare? And um, I, when I'm talking with my friends and I'm talking with friends and family, uh, it turns out uh, there is some kind of communication gap there. I think there's a lot that kind of goes out in the news, but I'm not sure a lot of it is being translated very well uh, to the public. And so I thought, hey, what, what can I do with, with my hands, with my powers? What can I do myself? Mm-hmm. And I thought, hey, why not create a, kind of a hopefully a low barrier of access podcast where we can talk about these kind of topics just in general, lay them out, and hopefully a uh, easy to understand um, format. Yeah. Here <laughs> on the podcast, we always say one person can make a difference. And we've listened to your podcast, Healthy Schmelthy. We know that you're doing that because you're helping people make educated decisions about things and you're making it fun. Like we were dancing to some of your music, uh-huh. right? <laughs> we were laughing at some of your topics and it started a conversation here as well. So it seems to be working. Thank you very much. Yeah. I hope you all dance very well. Uh, <laughs> well, we got to work on Joe. <laughs> so how did you hear about the gifted life, sir? I heard about the gifted life. I I believe through another podcast, The Morning Stream, that um, I think the uh, the Gifted Life did an ad or something like that. And when I heard that, I was like, wow, that sounds like a podcast I'd really enjoy. I listened to your Aaron Eisenberg, uh, the Star ah, Trek actor, uh-huh. 
episode and really enjoyed that. And I was like, hey, I need to talk to these people. They got something going on here. That sounds really enjoyable. And uh, I think my listeners would appreciate that as well. That's where it all began. Well, cool. Yeah, Aaron's our friend, first name basis now, Rishi. (laughs) (laughs) We're first name basis with you as well. But, you know, our goal is to spur healthy conversations about organ, eye, and tissue donation. We thought this was a good episode to kind of go back to the basics, learn where you're coming from when it comes to donation. We know you have that Master's of Public Health. So we're trying to communicate with the public as well. We want folks to make educated decisions about donation. And so that's our goal as well, to educate, to have fun while we're doing it. And hopefully we increase our donor registry here in Louisiana across the country as well. So I'm going to turn the mic over to you. I'm nervous, Rishi. I'm nervous. Uh I don't know. (laughs) All right. right. So here we go. Yeah. Yeah. You're on the hot seat. Let me put the lamp on you. Okay, there we go. Ouch, ouch, <laughs> ow. <laughs> All right, well, uh, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, let's, let's just start with the, with the general. How did the idea of the podcast start? Who came up with that? Well, I'd like to say it was me. <laughs> there, Rishi. Can't take the credit for that. Our CEO actually travels and, and goes to these conferences, conventions, and we always like to learn from our partners and look at what's going on. What could we be doing better? And so she came back and she said, maybe a podcast and then got with our IT department said, what do you think about this? Can we do that? So about two years ago, we started tinkering around with it. Our first taping took basically all day. And I think we looked at each other and we were saying, what have we gotten Uh ourselves (laughs) into? We knew it was a good thing to do. We had all come to the table with different ideas. We wanted to honor our donors, that's for sure. But we figured this was another way to kind of reach out and to educate, right? So we are the only organ procurement agency across the country that has a podcast geared toward organ, eye, and tissue donation. So we're proud of that fact. And we try to partner with folks from across the country, across the world to help spread that message. Because while rules and things may be different when you go to a different country, the feeling's the same. Those donor families, they want to honor their heroes. The recipients want to celebrate life. And those waiting, they just need someone to talk to. So that's kind of our goal. So about two years ago, we sat here. So now we have more equipment we talk a little bit more, <laughs> we're a little bit comfortable with each other. We kind of got the podcast thing down, we hope. And then we get to partner with folks like you and hopefully reach people that we would have never reached before had we not turned to this format. How long was the Louisiana Oregon Procurement Agency around before the podcast started? Was it around for a while? Years. Yeah. <laughs> Louisiana Oregon Procurement Agency is the only organ procurement organization, or OPO as we say it in, in the donation world. It is the only one in Louisiana, and it was okay. founded actually on April 1st of 1988. Oh, wow. It's been around for uh, quite some time. In 1984, NOTA was passed, the National Organ Transplant Act. And prior to that, there was inequity in the way organ procurements were allocated. And NOTA kind of tied everything together from a national perspective so that the sickest patients would get the transplants. And part of that was the establishments of organ procurement organizations, or OPOs, like LOPA, Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, across the nation, so that we would be kind of the middlemen for that transplant and that transplant recipient and that donor, that hero, and that donor family. So OPOs were established uh, throughout the nation uh, mostly be- in the 80s, between 1984 and, and 88. Okay, and that was after the uh, NOTA Act Correct. was passed? 
Yep. Okay. If we can put a pin on that for just a second, the podcast is really great. Just for my listeners' benefit, the podcast, there's so much behind this uh, organ donation. So I highly recommend everyone listening to the podcast. I have to compliment you guys, though. Um, how did you come up with the Gifted Life title? That's a great title. It says everything you need to know. Uh, <laughs> well, we appreciate you know, just that. Just from the top. Yeah. So like I said, we, we had these folks who had been picked to start this project. And we were kind of sitting at a round table and we said, okay, what kind of segments would we like to talk about? One thing that was across the board was that we, you know, want to honor a hero in every podcast. The other thing was, what are we going to name it? What's been taken? Okay. What is going to get people's attention? And so the vote was out. The Gifted Life was on there and it, it won unanimously. And so here we are. Mm, okay. Basically, like our mission, our purpose is to make life happen here at Lopa. That's, that's pretty much our theme for everyone. And that life is something that stands out, you know, from many different facets, from our own lives, you know, the fulfillment that we get in working with these donor families and heroes, and also the life, of course, that is given from that donation. And then, of course, the, the recipient themselves and everyone's lives that are touched. So the gifted life takes on so many different meanings you know, sure. uh, for us. Okay. So let's dig into that a little bit further. Let's go back to what you were saying. So pre-NODA, was everything a little sporadic? Sounds like after NODA, if someone wanted to donate their organs, there's a little bit more structure around that. Do I kind of have that sense Ye right? Yes. So pre-NODA, each transplant center was their own organ procurement organization. Because of that, if they had a contract with a hospital, and someone was a donor there, that donor would only be able to, you know, save lives for that particular transplant center. Clearly, there's inequity there. Right. So NOTA established a fairness and a system called OPTN, Organ Procurement Transplant Network, basically laid the groundwork for everything that's happened since pretty much all the rules and regulations that we uh, were governed by come from OPTN and originated from Noda. So was the organ donor uh, registry, was that, has that been around pre-NODA as well, or was that part of the act as well? It's different in different states, the time frames. Our registry is one of the older registries nationwide. Ours was initiated sometime in the early 90s. Yeah, so we're about 20 years old, and there, it, it's okay. 2.5 million people strong today. So that's a lot of work in 20 years. Yeah. Right. Sure. Out of a population of four and a half million, you know, so that's uh, that's a very significant portion. Sure. And is that the same thing as having the organ donor mark on your driver's license? That's all of, all I know about organ donor. I have that little mark on my driver's license and some other people do too. <laughs> right. So here in Louisiana and in a lot of other states, we partner with the offices of motor vehicles. We just came off of an OMV appreciation week. And so we go in and we train these workers that you have to see when you go to change your address or when you go to get a license. And so one of the questions that they're going to ask you is, do you want to be an organ donor? And so our goal is to reach you before you get to that point. And our goal is to help you make an educated decision about donation. So here in Louisiana, if you say yes, you get that heart, that little red heart. In other states, it, it may right. be a different marking. So here in Louisiana, it's a little red heart. And that little red heart signifies that if you can, you would be an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Okay, so just those organs then, the the eye, tissue, and heart? Organ, yeah. eye, and tissue donation is, is what we do. So when it comes to organs, yeah, we recover the heart 
lungs, liver, kidneys, pancreas, small intestine. So that's six organs recovered, hmm. uh, but one person has the power to save up to nine lives. And that's because we have wow. two lungs, we have two kidneys, and that liver can be split, and that smaller portion can go to a smaller adult or a child. Uh, when it comes to huh. tissue, one person can give sight to two. Wow. We recover, uh, you know, corneas, skin, tendons, ligaments. And so uh, one person has the power to impact lots of lives through organ, eye, and tissue donation. Wow. You know, the human body never fails to amaze me. Right. Um, yeah, that's amazing. So uh, let's get into matching then. How are organs matched for a person? So different organs are matched a little differently, some more specific than others. The more specific organs are the kidneys and pancreas. All of them have to be matched by blood type, Okay. first and foremost. In blood donation, when you uh, donate blood and, and it's transfused, you have to worry about what's called the RH factor, the positive or negative. In organ donation, that doesn't matter. But the actual ABO, the blood type, whether you're an O type or an AB or, you know, A or B, that matters. So that's the first. Thing. Okay. But then in kidney and pancreas, it's also based on certain antigens that the donor would have that have to match up at least to a degree with the recipients. Hmm. It's called HLA, human leukocytic antigens. And once those are done, they're kind of matched up with the recipients. And then the list that I mentioned earlier with OPTN, that comes up, the sickest patient with the closest match, then comes up first. And, and proximity plays a part. And I, I guess I'm kind of getting ahead here, but proximity plays a part. But as far as the matching, it's proximity, the blood type and, and antigens with kidneys, I'm sorry, and size. And then with heart and lungs, uh, with the rest of the organs, antigens don't play quite as much of a, a role, but certainly still the blood type, size, and proximity play a factor in, in that matching. Okay. So this might be kind of a dumb question, but is a surgeon going inside a person who needs an organ and like measuring the space? Is that what you mean that's by a size? great question. No, that's actually a great question. Uh, okay. No, but we'll see on that list. They'll have a minimum and a maximum size for that particular patient. So they know their patients and they'll measure different things like, you know, abdominal size or th thoracic or chest size or height and weight and all that. Mm -hmm. And if they fit into that size range, that's how they'll be matched. Now, there are times, especially on kids where they'll, mm -hmm. they'll come into the organ recovery itself and they'll measure and do a lot more specific, you know, measurement there for the potential recipient, you know, but that's only when, when we're talking, you know, if they're saying they can take up to a 5, 10, 200 pound, you know, maybe they're 150 pounds, that's when they'll start doing more measurement. And then, of course, in those cases, we'll have to have a backup in place. Wow. Just in case that organ didn't exactly match up. Wow. And Rishi, just to give you a, a real life example, we have a um, recipient that we work with and she was so sick in her mid 40s that she only weighed 68 pounds. Wow. Other folks who were her age were obviously heavier. And so her gift came from a 16 year old. She knows that and she shares that story. So, no kidding. you know, size when it comes to donation matters. Yeah. Wow. This is why I love learning about this stuff. I had no idea there was a uh, backup uh, as well. So uh, who who are the people who are reviewing the list? Um, I imagine they have uh, medical backgrounds and all that kind of stuff. Yes. So the list is reviewed by our 
allocation. Uh, we have allocation coordinators. If I can kind of back up maybe a little bit. Sure. We haven't really talked about uh, who can potentially become donors. And that pool is a lot smaller than most people think. Okay. A lot of people think that everyone can be a, an organ donor. And the fact is the vast majority of us die in a way that you can't. If you cardiac arrest or if your heart stops, then unfortunately your cells die within your organs hmm. in an uncontrolled situation. You can no longer be an organ donor. The people who can potentially save lives are those who hmm. passed away, generally speaking, from a head injury, hmm. which then uh, oftentimes causes the brain to swell. Of course, the hospital does everything in their power to save that person's life. Unfortunately, there are times that everything they can do is not good enough. That patient's intubated on a, on a ventilator, and doctors assess the patient's neurological function. And if they have no neurological function, if their brain is completely dead, they are technically dead. They are then declared brain dead. Their time of death is at that time. And hmm. it's at that point where, you know, there's a lot of support needed for those families because it's always in these brain injury, head injury cases, very sudden. These aren't expected. Sure. So we provide staff to support the families throughout all this time. And they also offer that family the opportunity to donate. If and when they do say yes, hopefully they do, then we have staff that goes on site to take care of the management and treat the patient so that the organs are functioning at a higher quality level, at the highest quality level, so that we can then allocate. And this is where that comes in. You mentioned the matching. That allocation coordinator that I mentioned, that placement coordinator, then pulls up the list. It's an anonymous list. We can't pick and choose who we donate to. Mm -hmm. The first person on the list gets the first offer, and then the second, and then so forth and so on. So that's kind of how the list ties in and our staffing ties in to the allocation of the organs. This process usually takes uh, 18 hours or so. The entire case oftentimes takes well over 24 to 36 hours. So in that case, uh, in this instance where someone, you know, unfortunately had uh, brain damage and so they're, um, and, and then their family agrees that these person's organs uh, can be donated, is there kind of like a length of time that the organs remain valid or, or usable rather? I didn't mention some of these that become brain damage, as you mentioned, some of those, these, they have a brain injury. Mm -hmm. Some of those, they progress and become better. And some of them stay in a persistent vegetative state, uh, as you may have, you know, known before, or a coma. And, and these are only okay. the ones that regress to absolute brain death that we're talking about here. Okay. So their time frames in general are much shorter. There have been rare occasions where they can be maintained, but their brain, there's not been an occasion documented once where their brain regains any function hmm. or suitable organs for transplant. Uh, we can maintain for a day or two, usually. Uh, you know, in extreme situations, we, we can sometimes go for a little bit longer, but it's difficult, especially when you talk about lungs. They're exposed, even though they're on a ventilator, every, every forced ventilation uh, has the potential for uh, pneumonia and infections to set in and things like that. So uh, mm. the sooner generally the better 
uh, yeah. is, is the case because there is no organ bank. There's no storage. There's nothing that we can put them on and say, okay, in a week, we'll, you know, there's a, a <laughs> patient, you know. Okay. But, but each organ has a, a very finite time frame where they can be on ice. Hearts and lungs are four hours. Mm, wow. Kidneys and pancreas is, is about 24 hours. Liver, intestine, roughly about 12 hours. So you have to have a home in place for that potential donor because of that. You know, we don't have that unlimited time. So, and, and then we have to have a backup in place each and every time, just in case one of those okay. falls through, because that is such obviously a resource, you know, that's so rare, an opportunity for a second chance at life that's so rare. So we sure. want to make sure on our part that we don't drop the ball, so to speak, and, and uh, you know, we make sure we have redundancy and, and backups in place. Okay. You know, I don't know where I got this idea from, but I kind of thought that there's a freezer with, um, you know, all these things, <laughs> yeah. uh, all the organs waiting. Yeah. Um, so now this timing aspect, I didn't even consider this. And you're saying, you know, it's only a few hours, max uh, 12 hours, I think you mentioned for a liver. Um, so in the case of a backup, uh, so if, if the backup isn't used, then that organ probably needs, there's only a couple of hours. When I meant by backup, so there's a primary, we're, you know, going through the list There's a primary recipient that's, that's potential. That's the sickest best match. And then the second sickest or best match would be the backup recipient. Gotcha. Let's say if, when we're in the operating room and we think, okay, this is going to that primary recipient and all of a sudden now. Uh, they've got, you know, on the transplant center in either one of two things. You mentioned the, the, the size uh, mm-hmm. earlier, or maybe the primary has gotten to the hospital and they realize they have an infection. They just can't do the surgery because it's too much risk. Then that's when the backup becomes the primary. Gotcha. So because that time, like I mentioned, that time frame is so tight, obviously, and, and I'm talking 12 hours from blood flow to blood flow. So that includes part of the rest of the recovery. That includes the packaging uh, process and the transportation. You know, so so that's a whole lot of logistics that take place for that small of a time frame. So we have to be working on our side and each of those transplant centers, the primary recipients, transplant center and the backup has to also be working simultaneously for this to work everything to be kind of in concert or a donation to take place. So I guess the bigger step back picture is there's a whole lot of people doing a whole lot of work for this one miracle to take place. Right. And taking even a further step back, I'm really glad NOTA was passed because <laughs> yeah. right. you're detailing all this and I'm, you know, you're talking about all these factors and aspects I didn't even consider, you know, blood type is one thing and all that kind of stuff, but then timing and having a primary and backup recipient, and then making sure the organs are usable as well. There's a lot. (laughs) Right, and that's one of the reasons we focus on education here in Louisiana. So we partner, you know, with you, we partner with churches. We talk to one person, we talk to an auditorium full of folks so that we can explain the process so that they can make that decision. And hopefully it's an educated decision, and we hope that they say yes and get that heart on their license. Majority of folks do it at the OMVs. That's where Everybody uh, travels through. So we want everybody to be trained because, as you heard from Joey, that's a lot to take in. I know just listening on the podcast, but that's a lot for a family 
who um, expected to go home with their family, have dinner, do activities, and then they have this traumatic event, and now they have to learn about brain death and and organ donation. And if they haven't discussed it as a family, that's a tough topic. So we have really special folks who work with those families and who are are good at what they do. And if I can expand on the hard on the license and, and the OMV, if you put it on your license or you designate yourself as a donor, your right to what happens to you supersedes anyone else's rights of what happens to you. So so like that's a legal document. It is a legal document. Consent. First person. So yeah. that's why having a heart in your license is so important because it designates that that's what you wanted to do as your lasting gift, you know, when you pass. And no one else has the right to take that away from you. Hmm. And that's why we encourage family conversations. Like if you make that decision, yes or no, we're hoping for a yes. If you say yes, then we need you to tell your family because, you know, if it is your time and you can give that gift, uh, we will have to talk to your family. Have you been out of the country? We need to know certain things so that we can run certain tests so that we can recover the most precious gift possible. So we encourage those conversations. We want people to talk about it. We want them to know the facts and have those conversations and not based on myths, Rishi, that maybe you have heard. Yeah. Right. And one of the things that's very helpful is when somebody has had that discussion, that when we follow up with them, we call all donor families post-recovery. So when we're following up with them just to check in, let them know how much we appreciate the gifts, that they'll say, you know what, I am so glad that I spoke to my son or daughter or whoever it may have been, and they said this is what they wanted. It was on their driver's license. It gave us hope that they could help others, and so it's, it makes their decision at a very tragic time easier mm-hmm. for them to say this is the right thing to do, and I think that's what what makes it more important is that we've all talked about it, but once we actually do it, then those folks can walk away with some solace that this is what their loved one wanted. Sure. And Rishi, we have, uh, I work with our volunteers out in the community, so it's uh, donor family members, recipients, those waiting, and we go out to these venues and we, and we tell our stories. And so it's as simple as a 10-second conversation. We have a, a great donor mom who works to honor her son, and she said, we had this one conversation because we were watching Grey's Anatomy and they talked about donation. <laughs> and he said, Mom, if something happens to me, I want to be an organ donor. I mean, who wouldn't want a piece of this, right? So, And that's one of her stories that she goes out and she goes, that gives me such comfort because I knew what he wanted. So her son was a donor. We honor him. And we have actually met his recipient, which is, is pretty cool. So you never know what you're going to hear. And, you know, folks are inspired to register. There's a national registry. Each state has their own registry. There's also a national registry that's kind of easier for folks who are listening from wherever. But registerme.org, registerme.org, that's something that we hope uh, people remember. And that if they are inspired, they do sign up to be an organ, eye, and tissue donor. It's simple. It's fast. It'll save some time at a most crucial time. You know, you talked about a lot of different backgrounds because I was kind of curious, what are the backgrounds of people who are involved in the uh, organ transplant of their state, um, of of the network rather, the organ transplant network of their state? And already you've mentioned communications. Uh, The the one that came easily to mind for me was uh, like a surgeon or someone like that. But already you mentioned like communication and uh, uh, the volunteers and the field workers you mentioned. So a lot of different backgrounds can be evolved if, if someone is wanting to be involved with their uh, with their state's um, network, it sounds like. 
Exactly. There are OPOs in in every state, and Joey said we're the only one for Louisiana, but in Texas they have more. They're bigger than we are. So if you call, they'll tell you where they are needed. We like for folks to tell stories because we can throw facts at you all day. We can tell you how many people are waiting. We can tell you how many people in the state, what most people need. But what we hear the most is that I remember that mom, and I remember that passion, and I remember her baby. And so when I went to get my license, I said yes, because I remember that story. So uh, we we build upon that, um, and we hope that we inspire folks to think about it, to talk about it. We know it's not easy. Nobody wants to talk or think about death or dying, especially when it's your baby. But through death, death will happen with or without us. Um, You can leave a legacy through donation. Sure. You know what would be a great place for stories is, now this might be a crazy idea, but what if someone who represented an organ network of their state started a podcast about organ donation? What do you guys think about that? Oh, my God. I would like to meet them and shake their hands and give them a gold star. (laughs) Well, you know, you got to change with the times and technology. And you heard uh, Joey talking about over the years and our registry is 20 years old. So, you know, you got to try what's new at the time, what's going to get people's attention. Uh, So right now we're kind of turning towards social media and targeting those zip codes where maybe uh, not as many people are signing up as as we'd like. Um, We're also watching the culture changes that are going on, the discussions that are happening in those churches and those Kiwanis clubs, Rotary clubs. What are they wanting to hear? What don't they know that we could help them? What stories can we use to inspire them? So you may have seen little J.J. Robertson. He's the Saints super fan, LSU super fan. He needed a liver. He received one earlier this year, but he received an ESPY. He's got a WWE championship belt, but he's a little kid with a huge personality. And he's out there on the front lines helping us spread organ eye and tissue donation awareness. So it takes one person to make a difference. We have lots of those people and we're working together as a team. So I was kind of curious, kind of changing tracks to the experience of being on the list while you're waiting is there such a thing as organs that are rarer than others? Is is there one of those? I think you mentioned there's nine organs. Right. Um, if you need one, it might be a little bit more difficult or it might be a longer wait on the list potentially. A couple things. All right, so there's six six organs, but nine, yes, nine individual organs uh, mm-hmm. because the lungs are, are two, the kidneys are two kidneys, and then uh, oh. liver can be split. Uh, so nine That's lives right. can be saved. So. The longest on the waiting list right now has been kidneys, even though the uh, opportunity is the greatest. In other words, there's more kidney donations than any other organ. But the waiting list for kidneys, I believe right now, is 80-plus thousand of, wow. of the waiting list. And the waiting list is, is 116,000 right now altogether, all organs. Wow. So the vast majority, like I said, are kidneys. The good thing about the kidneys is, is you've got dialysis. They can be dialyzed for some time. Now, the bad thing about it is every year on dialysis takes a significant toll and shortens your lifespan, I've heard, by some up to each year, up to seven years. So, mm. But they can go a little longer. The, the lungs are a little more rare just because it's so easy to get lung infections from the donor side, because all the other organs are encapsulated. Uh, they're all in sterile environments, not as much potential for infections. But the lungs are, you know, even though they're, you're ventilated, uh, but they're open to air. 
and of course in an ICU setting, uh, so it's easier to transmit pneumonias and things like that. So the lungs are much more difficult to be able to transplant. Mm-hmm. But again, the list isn't quite as long as the kidney list, so that's kind of why the kidneys are have to wait sometimes. Sure. The other thing about the kidneys, there are so many different diseases that affect the kidneys that cause kidney failure, including hypertension and diabetes, especially here in Louisiana. We're kind of known for that. And hypertension being so silent, a lot of people don't know they have it, and it's negatively impacting the kidneys. So a lot of people end up with kidney disease sure. uh, more often. And Rishi, I have a, a a neat story when it comes to kidney donation. I think it is. I have so much to tell you, Rishi. Oh, oh. <laughs> stay tuned. Please tell. <laughs> so we have some volunteers who who work with us, and she needed a kidney. Katrina came. They had to move from New Orleans here. I'm sure you remember uh, that in the headlines. I, the waiting list for kidney was so long. She was so sick. So they had to do living donation. Her family was tested. Nobody was a match. And so one of her friends, and they were in the ministry together, said, "I'm going to go and get tested." And she said, I don't know you that well, right? And so, but he said, I need to do this. So he went, he was a perfect match. So he gave her one of his kidneys and then later they married. So they're celebrating 14 years of transplantation, successful transplantation this year and 11 years of marriage. And on their wedding anniversary, they talk about organ eye and tissue donation awareness. So we always have dinner or some kind of fun event where we get folks to talk about it and hopefully sign up to be donors. So it doesn't happen in every case. That's not, that's not you know, if you give somebody a kidney, we're not going to promise marriage here, but <laughs> it worked out in that case. Uh, sure. You know, talking about emergencies, like, uh, for example, in, in that horrific uh, incident that occurred in Las Vegas, I heard that they're having a shortage on, uh, on blood. And so... Um, once again, this kind of goes back to, uh, thank goodness for NOTA, <laughs> creating the organization behind this process, because I imagine like incidents like Hurricane Katrina and, you know, um, incidents that you can't account for, uh, that must really put a shock to the, uh, to the system. Uh, all of a sudden, there's this big increase in people who need um, life-saving organs. Right. And, uh, of course, cause uh, a significant shock into the logistics of everything. So I was, in fact, on site on a case during Katrina Wow! uh, as it was about to make landfall. And I can tell you firsthand, complete communications fail and everything else fails. But we were able to lean on the OPTN, on UNOS, who actually is the, and I I mentioned OPTN, but UNOS is United Network of Organ Sharing. Okay. Uh, They're the contractor. They're the ones, they're the keeper of OPTN. So I was able to punt basically to UNOS because I was not able to have communications and be able to allocate. So we punted to UNOS and they were able to still make life happen, as we say, and we were able to still transplant multiple different people and and help that family and that donor still be a hero, even in times of tragedy. Hmm. So you're right that having that NOTA, you know, being in place and having that system so well in place is huge, especially in times of need. Sure. You know, in an ideal situation, well, I'm saying ideal, but um, when it's not, um, you know, a big shock to the system after a uh, emergency such as that one, um, who's reviewing the list and, um, you know, saying that this person is more needy than the other or, you know, most needed right now? Is there like metrics and that kind of thing that goes into that? That's a great question. And, and that is actually exactly it. So 
There are metrics. Okay. You can't just say, because every transplant surgeon would say, no, my patient is sicker than your patient, if it was just subjective. Right. Each organ has an allocation score. Okay. Each organ except for the kidney, and I'll tell you that in a second. But say, for instance, the, the lungs and the liver, you have this certain calculation that calculates how much longer this person can live with this organ. The person with the shortest amount of time gets put highest on the list. So there's no subjectivity there. Okay. Now the kidneys, because you have dialysis, it's a little different where it's more time on dialysis because they know each year on dialysis takes years off your life. So it's mm. still, again, objective, very metric oriented. Uh, for people who want to support organ donation, um, you mentioned there's the registerme.org, right? Yes. For people who want to be involved? Correct. So registerme.org, click on that. It doesn't matter what state you're in. You can register your wishes to be an organ, eye, and tissue donor there. Okay, great. And um, all right, well, uh, that's all the questions I had. Thank you all very much uh, for joining me and doing this dual podcast experiment. Yeah, yeah uh, we like that. Joey was on the hot seat. Uh-huh. It was awesome. But listen, we appreciate you. We enjoy your podcast as well. It's called Healthy Schmelthy, and I found it on my uh-huh. podcast app it's on my phone. I easy just, peasy. It's easy peasy. Find it. That's Joey's <laughs> term there, but I, I looked that up. But if, if people want more information on you, where would you like us to send them? Please send them to rishib.com. And uh, you can find more information about my podcast. I have such entertaining episodes as my interview with the CEO of Squatty Potty. And I have a discussion about um, earbuds versus headphones, which one is better for your ears. And I have one coming up with the uh, Gifted Life podcast. Oh, that sounds <laughs> interesting. I like it. All right. So when you say uh, rishib.com, what's what's the spelling? R-I-S-H-I-B-E-E.com. Uh, thank you for reminding me to spell that out. I forgot not everyone is an Indian guy like me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's R-I-S-H-I-B-E-E.com if you want more you are the fanciest schmanciest little <laughs> podcaster out there when it comes to health and wellness, man. We appreciate you. Oh, I appreciate you as well. And uh, your site is lopa.org. Is that correct? L-O-P-A.org, lopa.org. It's a one-stop shop for organ donation information. As we do in every episode of the Gifted Life podcast, we like to honor a hero, Today's hero is Gene Laborde. And we learn about Gene from his family. He was a beloved husband, father, pop, and friend. Throughout his life, Gene formed friendships with those he came in contact. His sense of humor and playful wit endeared him to family, friends, and acquaintances. He had compassion and concern for people and often spent time building, planting, mowing, or tinkering on things. He was well known for his willingness to help others. He was truly a kind and loving man who treasured his family and had a great love for all creatures. His daughters were with him as he passed from this life. They told him it was okay to go because he had three great sons-in-law that he knew would take really good care of his girls. His generous nature led to his decision to become a donor. Gene served in the U.S. Air Force, U.S. Army, and U.S. Navy. He served his country with pride and enthusiasm from 1950 until 63. He received several awards for his skill and expertise in various capacities, radar operator, mechanical engineer, and military police. Upon honorable discharge, he was employed as a diesel mechanic for various companies, 
and received commendations and appreciation from being the most sought-after mechanic. He later retired from Allied Systems in 92. Upon retirement, he was as busy as ever, serving the needs of his wife, children, family, and friends. He filled so many lives with love. And now we pause and say thank you to Gene for the gift of life. In our question and answer segment here on The Gifted Life, interesting question that we thought we could talk about here on The Gifted Life. Joey, you were involved in a case. Uh, This question came up, and it was one that we hadn't fielded before, and so we needed help. That's right, Lori. We've talked before often about direct donation and the impact that it has with donor families, knowing someone who possibly might need another organ, say they know someone who needs a kidney, for instance. So they ask us to see if we could facilitate that donation process. We do everything in our power, you know, to see that that happens. And the question came up in a recent case where I was uh, one of the administrators on call. The clinician involved asked, look, uh, this family knows someone who needs a corneal transplant. Do you think that's something, uh, is is direct donation Uh, possibility here? So, of course, me being all not knowing, (laughs) <laughs> said, I have no idea. But we know people who but, do, but right? I do. Yeah. But that's, we have friends. <laughs> absolutely. So, fortunately, we've been able to get one of the experts here in studio here with us, Ms. Joy Roussel, who is the executive director of Southern Eye Bank in South Louisiana. So, I'll go ahead and pose that question to you, Joy, since it was asked to me and I really had no idea. At the time. Okay. Thank you all for having me on. Um, Yes, direct donation for cornea tissue is a possibility. It is very rare, but it certainly can happen. And what what needs to happen is you need to confirm with the surgeon who's caring for the person that would be designated as the um, recipient by the family that their need would be met by the donation. So once we have the proper paperwork filled out and we contact the surgeon to make sure that he or she feels it will meet the needs of his patient or her patient, then we move forward and educate the uh, potential recipient and make sure they understand that this would speed up when they would have surgery. And um, once everything is in place, because it is a time-sensitive issue with donation, then then we get the ball rolling and they evaluate the tissue and try and make it happen. And in my experience with Southern Eye Bank, we have had one case in many, many years. Wow. And in organ donation, of course, it is also time sensitive. You know, it's not really any organ sounds bank. sounds kind of similar. Right. Yeah. It's very similar. Now, from a matching standpoint, you know, there's a lot of things that have to go into the matching for kidneys, heart, lungs. You know, antigen matching, the blood has to match. Is that a concern when you have someone who designates potential recipient for cornea? We are lucky that a cornea tissue is considered universal because it is an avascular tissue, which means it is not, um, does not have a blood source. So you do not have to match blood type or age or um, size, anything along those lines. You are able to be a, a universal donor. So it sounds like, you know, as long as a donor family would have someone that they know needs a corneal transplant, has already started the process with a surgeon of getting a transplant, 
within a, a particular time frame. Sounds like pretty much go in that case. Right. I would imagine that people are just not educated on the fact that they could request such a donation. Um, and because there is um, no longer a waiting list for cornea tissue, people are able to have their medical needs met more quickly that you don't wait, but right. you can certainly designate who you would like your loved one's tissue to go to if that's a desire of the family. So when you do have a corneal donation that, that is not asked as far as directed, would you share with us how you work with families uh, wanting to communicate with the recipients, or I guess I should say your recipients wanting to communicate with donor families? Right. Yeah. That, that conversation can go both ways. It can be initiated by either the recipient or by the donor family. In my experience, the donor family usually would like to communicate to the recipient family mm -hmm. and have a conversation. It needs to be something agreed upon by both parties. And we usually are the middlemen in the beginning. We ask, uh, let's say it's a donor family, we ask them to write a letter to and send it to us, the Southern Eye Bank, and we then um, send it on to the recipient. Mm -hmm. And if they are interested in responding, they send back to us, and then we connect the dots. So do you help then facilitate them actually directly meeting with one another, if that's what they choose? We do. We have a celebration once every year in March called the Gift of Sight, and we Im invite both sides of that equation, donor families and recipient families. And if they're right. interested in meeting face-to-face, -face, that's an opportunity where it can happen. We also provide education and small handouts with all of our surgeons so that we give them step-by-step -step instructions. It's also on our website oh, on great. how they can that's reach excellent. out if they're a donor or a recipient. Yeah, so that question that came in, is directed donation possible for corneas, Miss Joy? The simple answer is yes, of course, and yes. we would love to help um, facilitate it at any time. And now we know that's an option. If you would like more, southerneyebank.org is your one-stop shop, southerneyebank.org. Ms. Joy, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. All Thank right. you. I appreciate it. And maybe you have a question, info at lopa.org. We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget, you can always reach us at 504-648-3477 if you'd like some more information regarding what Joy has just spoken about, or if you have other questions that you would like to ask us, please give us a call. Another episode of The Gifted Life, guys. Guess what? In the books. books. I thought we were going to be like a chorus. <laughs> I said it. Books. Because it has come to a close. And we got to <laughs> thank our guest, Rishi. He got us all healthy, schmelthy, and learned about organ eye and tissue donation. Hopefully, his listeners will learn, make an educated decision as well when it comes to donation. So thank you. Many thanks to Sean Paul for sharing with us about the trail run that will be in Karen Crow. All about bringing nature, horses, horses, organ donation awareness yep. to the forefront. Really looking forward to that. And many thanks to him for sharing that information with us. And yep. for going outside of his normal job title right. to, to bring that home. A donation specialist part of him. And we also want to thank Joy Russell, the executive director of uh, Southern Eye Bank, for sharing with us that, in fact, direct donation in cornea transplant is a thing. Who yeah. knew? That's what this podcast is all about, learning. Yeah. So we're glad when you ask us those questions. And then if we don't know, then we find those who do. And so yep. they're great partners for us. We, we love that. And together we help to make life happen. 
Hopefully you were inspired to go out and register as an organ eye and tissue donor if you are not already. Registerme.org, that's a great place to start. It's quick, it's easy, make a decision today. And by all means, please go out and do something that you don't normally do to help us make life happen. Thanks. This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreaux, and Sally Gentry. Our producers are Kirsten Hines and Shalon Carraway. We are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Metairie, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. 